On this edition of the Table of Content, we are joined by Jeannie Egolf, a retired physician who took up the call to become a writer, author, and publisher. We'll talk with her more about the choices she's made and why she took up books. Stay tuned. That's coming up next right here on the Table of Content. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Jeannie Egolf. Jeannie, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Albert. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real pleasure. Oh, we are excited to talk with you, believe me. Uh, now, for our listeners, I'm going to let Jeannie give the sort of longer story. But uh, Jeannie Egolf is, uh, if you heard the intro, is a retired internal medicine physician. And she gave up a busy medical practice to be a stay-at-home mom. But not just that. She also decided that uh, books was a path to follow. So she's a writer, an illustrator. Uh, she has a children's book series. And she helped uh, co-found a Catholic publishing company that's located out of central Ohio. So uh, that's, the, that's the nutshell. But it sounds like there's a whole lot more going on uh, here Jeannie, and I'd like for you to sort of give our listeners a bit more breath on that. Sure. I think that intro alone was kind of crazy, right? But this, but the back Just a little. Story, Just a little. Yes, no kidding. It's like, how do you possibly explain that change to anyone? I don't even know where to begin. Um, I guess I always loved art. My, you know, I, I think early on the plan was to go to art school. Actually, even up to senior year in high school, uh, our art teacher was taking us to, to visit, a few of us to visit art schools. But for some reason, no, I know the reason. So I was, so I was a smart kid in class and I got really good grades. And I think that, I don't know, I, I was guided by teachers, parents, guidance counselor, you name it. You know, Jeannie, you're going to be, you know, valedictorian or salutatory in your class art will always be there for you as a hobby but you know you could be and this is of course you know 1989 you could be a doctor or a lawyer right that's what every kid yeah. around in the 80s you know was told so I wasn't going to be a lawyer I did really love science so for some reason, I decided I'm going to be a doctor, right? And a very, very, very long story short, I did that. And I eventually wound up returning to my hometown in Southern Ohio, and I opened an internal medicine practice. Mm -hmm. Southern Ohio is, you know, one of those doctor underserved areas. So it was easy to fill up a practice and be very busy. Sure. But, you know, my husband and I wanted to start our family too. Um, I think I managed pretty well to balance both, you know, 24-7 on-call <laughs> internal medicine practice for a little while while my, after the, our first daughter was born. Mm -hmm. At that time, my mom was still living, you know, and she was um, a great babysitter, of course. Like, how can there be a better babysitter in the world than grandma, right? Exactly. <laughs> so when my mom um, she had multi-infarct dementia and she really began going downhill quickly with her memory. Um, around that time, my second child, our second daughter was born and 
a lot of things in my life really turned upside down. And I, I have to tell you, I have to admit to you, somewhere between you know college and starting that practice, I fell away from my faith. I'm a cradle Catholic, and I don't know what happened just over time, you know, it just, I, I kind of lost my way. I wasn't even going to church regularly and so forth. Um, Jolene was born very early. I had a lot of complications. I nearly died, actually, with her delivery. I had a hypertensive crisis, which is like a stroke. At the same time, you know, I recovered from that. My mom was really failing. One of the partners in the practice, you know, said, you know, you, you're really going to have to get help. You're going to have to put your kids in daycare. You know, all the doctors in the area had nannies. We looked into that. We nearly hired somebody. And it just, it just became clear, you know, this is not really what God intended for me. It's really hard to be a good primary care doctor and a good parent. For me, that is. Now, right. don't get me wrong. There are some wonder women out there, my doctor friends. They can do it, Albert. I'm telling you, these, these women can do it. I have I'm, met those kind of parents. <laughs> I'm just not one of those parents. You can't be a half-time internal medicine doctor or a half-time mom. Uh, it, for me, I couldn't do it. I tried to cut back my office hours, but if you're primary care, all that means is your phone rings more at home than it does at the office. <laughs> so we've got lots of we've got lots of baby pictures of them just kind of clinging to my pants legs with a stack of charts on my kitchen table and me on the phone. That's all it was. You know, cutting back was just mommy's on the phone at home now all the time, instead of you know I'm with a babysitter. It was the hardest decision of my life. I had, you know, everything about me was doctor, 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 right? I, I was, that was my whole personality. It was my whole life. I even questioned if leaving medicine would make my husband not love me as much anymore. Because we met, you know, in residency. It was all he knew of me. It was all I knew of myself anymore. We're talking, I'd been through, you know, 14 years or so of nothing but medicine, because it's completely immersive when you go into the field. And I sat down with one of the partners and, you know, I said, I, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's not that medicine's too hard. It's just that it doesn't interest me anymore. I know it sounds awful, but I want to be home with my kids. Mm-hmm. I, I just, we, Jay and I could not be that doc, the, the doctor couple who, somebody else raises their kids and you never see them. You don't even know them. It just wasn't for us. I don't know how else to put it other than it just did not suit us. We didn't want someone else raising our girls. I understand. I understand. My brother, I am from a big Catholic family. One of my brothers, I was crying to him on the phone about it. Bill said, Jeannie, go home and be with your family, raise your family. Who does that sound like? It's Mother Teresa, right? It's one of her quotes. <laughs> you know, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I talked with my partner tearfully. You know, he was a male physician. I said, I, I know this sounds silly, but I'm afraid my husband won't love me anymore if I'm not a doctor. He doesn't know me under any other role. And he just laughed. He said, Jeannie, Jay doesn't love you because you're a doctor. He loves you for you. And of course, I had a long discussion with him. And he said, I, I didn't want to say this because I didn't want you to feel like 
I was asking you to leave medicine. But one day when I called you and you were at home with the kids, I was just overcome with this amazing feeling of peace suddenly, knowing you were home with our babies. And he was afraid to tell me that. I guess he just didn't want to seem like, you know, wife only belongs barefoot at home in the kitchen kind of kind of guy, oh, right? right? He wanted right, to support right, me. Right. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to support me in, in whatever way. But that's when it started. That's when we got the ball rolling. I sent out notices, personal written notices to every single patient that I need to see you in the office. I have to talk to you. And internal medicine, as you probably know, is, is mostly elderly patients. Mm -hmm. One by one, I saw each one of them and talked to them. Just And it's like a lot of them knew. They're like, you know, I think that's right. I think you're making the right decision. I'm going to miss you so much. But your babies are only young once. Maybe you'll come back someday, right? right. Each one of them I saw, copied their chart, called other physicians' offices, tried to get them follow-up, uh, kept charts in my garage for probably, what, 10 years. <laughs> Eventually got the fairly clean break from medicine. So that's the first chapter over. Okay, cha <laughs> chapter one. That was chapter one. Chapter two was I had a have had a wonderful time being a stay-at-home mom. Our oldest uh, at age three began saying some weird things around the house. She kept telling us that she wanted to marry God. Now remember what I told you. I wasn't really practicing my faith very well at that time, and my husband is not Catholic, okay. was not Catholic at that time. Finally, I said, I'm going to take this three-year-old and I'm going to show her what, I don't know which, why she's saying these words, I'm going to marry God, but she was very insistent over and over again. I took her to a monastery. Yep, I took her to meet a bunch of cloistered nuns in our town. And I thought, that'll show her. <laughs> it backfired, hugely backfired. She wouldn't leave. There was a three-year-old screaming that she wanted to stay with these nuns and not come home. It was, it was silly. It was funny. It was beautiful, but it was moving. Um, getting to know these sisters, the poor Claires, just really brought me back old good memories of my childhood, what it was like to, you know, be with my two aunts who were nuns and just all the family traditions. All our family traditions are centered around the church. And it just gave me a sense of being home again. Um, Jay, <laughs> Jay, Jay was raised Baptist. I wasn't really sure how to bring up any of this to him. But he overheard me one night teaching one of the girls the Hail Mary. And he asked me about it. And I told him, you know, I, you, that's how you teach a child a prayer. You say a line, they repeat it. Um, more conversations like that crept up, and a priest friend of mine, Father Virginia, said, why, why don't you just ask Jay if he wants to become Catholic? And I was just horrified. I'm like, oh my gosh, he was raised in a family that did not like Catholics, right? Uh, but I did it. I got up the courage. I said, Jay, have you ever thought about becoming Catholic? I couldn't believe what he said. I've always been curious about the Catholic faith my whole life. 
everywhere I've gone, it seems like my best friend in high school or college was Catholic. And I was so curious about what they did, but I didn't think it was possible for me to become a Catholic. What do I have to do? And we began, um, you know, going to our CIA together at our parish in, in Southern Ohio. And I was a sponsor. Jay converted to the church a few years ago. And my gosh, he, 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 I think he knows more than I do now, catechism <laughs> That happens. Yeah. The, my, our daughter's interest in religious vocation led to the next chapter, I think, in my life. Okay, so chapter three. <laughs> Something like that, right? I started writing little short stories and little kids' stories because we couldn't find any. We couldn't really find enough. You know, she just was so, had such a voracious appetite for learning more about religion and learning about God and learning theology. And we couldn't find enough children's books out there to, to quench her thirst. So I had to write my own. I mean, what are you going to do, right? Your kid was. <laughs> so I started writing about um, a group of sisters that lives up in our area. Because by this time, we had moved up to central Ohio, the Columbus area. Okay. And so that was the birth of Molly McBride and the Purple Habit, the first book in my Molly McBride series. Okay. So, so, let, so let me jump in there. So for our listeners... When I was trying to just search for um, uh, authors, Catholic authors, Catholic writers to interview, I found this long list of suggested books to and authors. And I saw this book. It was this obviously a children's book called Molly McBride and the Purple Habit. And I was thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting. I've not seen a book like this before. And then began the journey to track down Jeannie Egolf. Um, so I, I wanted to put that segue in there to make sure that I wanted people to know it's like, I'm here right now because of Molly McBride and the Purple Habit. So now I'm going to kick back to you, Jeannie, so you can sort of expand a bit more on this story, which sounds like it was inspired by your daughter. Absolutely. Yes. The main character, Molly, is kind of, mm, it draws on bits and pieces of both my daughter's personalities. Definitely the younger daughter's looks with her curly auburn hair. Uh, but Molly, the character, there's a series of four books now. She is about five years old. And she and her family are close friends with the children of Mary sisters who wear purple habits. And Molly knows that she's going to be a nun too when she grows up. Mom made her um, a little costume, so to speak. Although you can't call it a costume in front of Molly. This is her real <laughs> habit for real, okay? <laughs> so she dresses up like one of the sisters all the time. In fact, she won't take her habit off anywhere. She doesn't want to ever wear anything else now. And that's, that's kind of sweet. the conflict of that first book is that there's a big event coming up and mom bought her a new dress to wear to this event. And Molly can't see herself putting on anything other than her purple habit. And that's how the series got started. <laughs> But but I, I'm I'm curious. Like okay, I you explained the story of at the time of your three year old, and you went to visit the poor Claire's, and she was she wanted to stay and be with them, and I can sense the inspiration. But and you also said there wasn't enough 
content in sort of Catholic children's literature uh, for you to be able to sort of share with your daughter. But but why follow this sort of children's vocational route? Why not just sort of, we'll say, childrenize, uh, you know, the catechism? Or why not sort of just another sort of scriptural story that's made easier for children to understand? Why focus so much on a story about a child and vocations? A couple of different reasons. Um, the Exposing children to the whole concept of religious vocations has been my stick, you know, for a while. Um, after writing the book, I did some tours to schools and places to speak, not only about vocations and First Communion and the real presence, but um, Mother Margaret Mary, who was um, uh, the, the leader of the Children of Mary at the time, said something that really resonated with me, and that is little girls and boys grow up knowing about one vocation, parenthood, because they're in it all day. And most boys know about the vocation to the priesthood because those families are going to mass. But in this country right now, there are very few sisters in view. In fact, some of our small towns, I think a child could go all through Catholic school, from kindergarten to graduation, never once meet a religious sister. It's not like when I was a kid, you know, our grade school principal was a sister, and our librarians and teachers, a lot of them were sisters. Right. It's There just seemed to be kind of a disappearing thing. So she said, Jeannie, what I love about this book is that you're reminding mothers and fathers everywhere that, hey, we need to talk to our daughters about religious vocation. You know, that a lot of them don't even know it's an option. And I can't tell you how many times this has happened now since writing that little ch children's book. You know, people are saying, you know, get letters from all over the world, people talking about, you know, I haven't met any nuns in so long. I forgot, you know, I mean, Back in the day, every Catholic family was, you know, proud to say one son was going to be a priest and one daughter was going to become a sister. And we don't talk about it enough anymore. Well, so that's why I wrote a book about it, Albert. I mean, what can I tell you? We needed a book about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, my, my wife and I, at one point, were trying to discern, you know, because we were in western Pennsylvania, uh, and we were thinking, do we need to try to move somewhere where our children can have more more time to be exposed to religious life? Because I had uh, I'd we have family in the Steubenville area, and the Tor sisters are there, mm -hmm. and they're such beautiful, beautiful uh, ladies and sisters, and you know their commitment and their love for Christ. And I just uh, I've always enjoyed talking with them, and I was like inspired, and I told my wife, it's like maybe we need something like that. We need to try to find a way to be closer to religious community because we had access to Benedictines where we were living in Western Pennsylvania at the monastery Saint Vincent uh, Archabbey in Latrobe, and we thought that was great. It's like okay, so we have. We have monks here, and there was a few orders. There were some Carmelites and some Benedictine nuns, but we were trying really hard because we thought this is important for our children to be exposed to religious life. Um, so I, I agree with you. There's been it's difficult to easily see 
religious life, especially sisters in full habits and for your children to see that. So it almost sounds like, who are those people in dresses, mommy? You know, who are those? It's like, oh, well, that's right. You don't don't get to see them a lot, do you? (laughs) No, I I, I agree with you. My daughter, that's a funny story. My daughter tried to to explain to one of her friends at a public school uh, what a nun is. She said, you know, the women who go around in veils. Oh, her friend said, you know, yeah, we have a lot of people at our grocery store like that. And I think really she was referring to like to women wearing hijabs. <laughs> I think she oh, was referring oh. to <laughs> I, don't, I still don't to this day don't think that little girl got what we were talking about. But right. yeah, right. Albert, same here. Same here. In fact, we one of the things, one of the reasons we did make the decision to move up to the Columbus area. It's because our nuns left. Our nuns down in Portsmouth in the small town, um, you know, they're now living in Alabama. And it was kind of like, what's left for me here? I've sold my practice. The nuns are gone. Uh, Jay was in a position where he needed access to different offices throughout the state anyway. And so, yeah, we came up to be at a place where the girls could be better connected with the Catholic community. I, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to tell people, you know, if you're missing out on something, you need to move to a different city. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure, but, sure. I understand. But this was the reality for my family, for us personally. It, and it, it's, it's helped a lot to move to an area where we had more of a Catholic community, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree with you on that point. Um, now, let, let's move a little bit into the expansion of your life. So you you started just sort of writing uh, some books for your kids. It turns into officially Molly McBride and the Purple Habit. But then apparently you were, we'll say, inspired by God's providence to take that to another level. And you have written and illustrated more and also as I mentioned, I believe in the intro, you have helped found a Catholic publishing company. So could you sort of trace that path a little bit for our listeners? Sure. That Yeah, that's actually the second half of uh, the question that you asked me before. You know, why did I choose to write a children's book that wasn't uh, a retelling of a Bible story, right? right? So it became clear soon after, well, I self-published that first book. I need to back up and explain. Soon after that, a Catholic publishing company called Grace Watch Media noticed it and picked it up and contracted with me to make it into a series. From there, our Sunday visitor bought out some of the books from that company. So the first three books are now available from our Sunday visitor. My friend Aaron Brostel and I Uh, had just been talking about it for a long time, the publishing process, because she also had some books that she wanted to publish. And she had just this beautiful book, God Made the Moonlight, and she asked me to illustrate it for her. By this time, I'd been freelance illustrating for several different people. And um, she was having trouble getting it a traditional publishing house to publish the book. And I just believed so strongly in it that it was so beautiful. We had so many people read this book and give it amazing acclamations. He said, you know, Aaron, I've been through the self-publishing process. I've been through the contract process with two different publishing houses. I think I got this. <laughs> I think I can do right. this. Sure. And so I just took the knowledge and self-educated as much as I could. And lo and behold, we have perpetual light publishing and 
not only do we did we publish Aaron's book, God Made the Moonlight, we started getting letters from people all over the place um, with kind of the same thing, uh, with more children's books. And yeah, you're right. There are tons and tons of Catholic storybooks out there that are, you know, different retellings of Bible stories or catechetical points and so forth. But we, we just wanted people to know that just because something is a Catholic book doesn't mean it's necessarily a Bible story. Mm-hmm. We want good books out there for people that enrich children's lives and that are fun to read with their parents and bring people back to the point of looking at tasteful art. And I don't know how else to say that. I mean, there's a lot of junk media out there, right? Like junk food. Yes, ma'am. Okay. You are 150% correct. There is a ton of junk media out there. Albert, I don't know how old your kids are now, but even in our Catholic schools, those fun book fairs that we grew up just, you know, loving to bring home that flyer to mom and dad with all the books listed and check them off and go back yep, to school. I remember. You can't do that anymore. You have to be very, very careful. Um, there are many, many titles um, with immoral things going on right in these children's books from the from the age of preschool up. I'm not kidding. Preschool books. Parents have to be very careful about looking at what your kids are pulling off the shelves, even in our Catholic schools. No, I, 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 I believe it. I believe it. I mean, let, let me let me give you the quick summary of why I believe it. The moment that I walked through Barnes & Noble, which I love to walk through minimally because of the smell and coffee and books, <laughs> yes. I was caught off guard when I saw a complete section dedicated, and I've made this point to other people, but I'll make it again here because I think it's important to make. When I saw the section that said, teen paranormal romance Mm. and i said oh my gosh we have come to this point where we have to dedicate an entire section to this type of book so yeah i believe that you have to be vigilant as a parent wherever you are you cannot let your guard down and that's unfortunate that is an unfortunate thing to say say oh well uh i'm at a my child's at a catholic school and uh I, i can be completely relaxed and to know that we can't say that Say, oh my gosh, we have to, we have to, we have to fight. We have to be on guard. We have to protect our children all the time because it's everywhere. Right, right. This is one of the goals. I, I joined the Catholic Writers Guild, which is just an amazing community of people, and you know that's one of the things we're all trying to make the public aware of is that just because a book is written by a Catholic author like me doesn't mean it's necessarily another Bible story. All it means as, at least for us is that I can guarantee you that you're going to bring home a nice book that's really cool, really fun and entertaining for your kid that is not going against the the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We're just mm-hmm. going to make sure, we've vetted it for you, make sure that you're definitely bringing home a, a morally clean, sound piece of media, movie, book, whatever it is for your kids. We've got... I've just been through the Catholic Writers Guild. I've hooked up with a couple of amazing people who are building companies to produce more of this good media, good, healthy media, healthy for your soul, right? Not junk food for your soul, like some of the stuff out there that you've seen. Right. For for kids. And you got to start young. You know, you can't, you really need to start reading to a child young and you read 
good stuff to a child at a young age. And, you know, we have connections now. You've got to talk to this lady, Liz Lane Tigua, sometimes. She started a whole book fair, Good News Book Fair, to go to parishes. All her books are screened. I mean, beautiful displays, just full tables and booths overflowing with beautiful, wholesome books and games and posters and movies and things for kids and their families. And then we have Kathy Gilmore, who's founded the VirtuWorks Media, and they're working on making a website sort of like Common Sense Media, you know, where you can get on as a parent to check. Is this movie okay to watch with my four-year-old? Or is this movie sure. okay? Yeah, right? But hers are rated more on virtues. She's rating, you know, is this book good in this virtue or bad in this virtue? What virtues, you know, are, are being, you know, taught in this piece yeah. of media? I, I, I can't help but laugh a little bit. I'm trying to imagine the, the current Hollywood sphere having a virtue rating for uh, all the movies that are coming out <laughs> and feeling like there would probably be minimal to zero virtues. I, I don't want to say yeah. no. There, 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 there's, there's some good themes hiding in there still, but wow, on the whole, I'm thinking that would be great, a virtue rating system for the movies. Yeah, there, there, there is a lot of good content out there. It's just not always easy to find, but it's right. worth searching for. And Kathy's point, Kathy Gilmore made this point to me that I love. The more we create good content the more we're creating an appetite for it, right? So mm -hmm. we, we're not a bunch of different Catholic publishing companies competing with each other. We're, we're not trying to get a piece of the one pie. We're, all, we're out there baking a lot more pies, right? So <laughs> right, the, more right. we, the more we make, the more people want to see good stuff. I, I think that we've, we're coming out of an, a point sort of in time where a lot of Catholic media. Let's 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 stay on books. The content was good, and it, it's it's a theological based or it's saint based or it's based off of someone who has a PhD in philosophical studies and you know uh, meta, the, meta theology. It's just it's over people's most people's heads. It's not that it's a the content is bad, but people look at it and they're thinking, well, this isn't really engaging to me, and I. I can't really read this. Or, you know, maybe they just say, this is kind of boring. And it's not that they're trying to say that the faith is boring, but this particular book they pick up, they're just not interested in reading it. But if we take the faith and we create a good story, or we put it in a way that it's beautiful or it's engaging, then people say, hey, this is actually something I could take part in. Can I have some more of this? That that was really good. My, my wife just got finished uh, reading a book. I, I bought it for her on a whim. She'd kind of been having, you know, kind of looking for some uh, some direction and inspiration. I bought this book and she tore through it in five days. And I said, awesome. wow. <laughs> so, you know, that that's, that's kind of what we want, I think, to try to put in front of people, say, look, there's some amazing material here for kids for adults somewhere in between yeah. oh, the, and the teens and, too have right, you checked out right. catholic teen books ctv catholic teen books whole website multiple authors oh my goodness this is all i read now these young adult novels and so forth mm -hmm. they are amazing 
just got to check them out. We got to get, let's do it right now, right? Everyone listening, you got to check these things out. These are great books, Catholic teen books. Yeah. For everyone listening, you can listen and you can go back again and again and again, listen to all the references that Jeannie is making uh, and go to all these websites, these publishers, look up the names of the people she's looking at so that we can get more of these really good books into the hands of young people, older people, small little people, uh, so that they can have an experience of Catholic faith that's entertaining and engaging. Yes. Amen to that. (laughs) So Jeannie, I could just, I keep talking to you about all this stuff. I I love talking about good media, uh, but we're going to run out of time. I got to know what's next. Are you kind of in a place now where you're just trying to sort of keep going what you're doing, finding some more books to publish? Uh, Are you going to write more? Are you going to illustrate more? Are you going to grow your publishing company? Are you going to become the sort of Barnes & Noble, Amazon of the Catholic world? I mean, what's up for you coming up down the road? I don't know. I'm so busy now. I don't even have time to think about it. I'm taking it one day at a time, working from morning to night, because we have a ton of new authors coming in that we're helping. We're helping them to get their books out there. We continue to market for all the different authors we have now. And on the side, I, yeah, I'm getting a lot of freelance jobs for copywriting and, and editing, and I, and I love it. My, it's just wonderful. I, I can't believe how God put me back on this path after that 14 or 20-year hiatus. You know, It, it was a, quite a detour that I took myself on, but I, I think he's got me right back where he wants me, and I'm having a wonderful time. Uh, Well, uh, Jeannie, thanks so much for taking some time uh, to talk with us here on the show. Uh, It sounds like there's definitely some room that we can maybe talk again about uh, maybe a a different book or what's uh, going on in uh, your world as things continue to develop one day at a time. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure. I love this show. I, I, I can't believe you're just having me on this. I mean, I'm listening to the, some of the other guests you've had on your show, and what you're doing is amazing. Oh, my goodness. If you'd like to have me come back sometime, or if I could recommend some other authors to you, that would be fabulous. We've got to get the word out to people that there are a lot of good books out there. Well, we will definitely work on that, guaranteed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, this has been Jeannie E. Golf. Uh, listen back for any of the uh, websites that she mentioned, the authors, the publishing company. There's obviously a lot to digest, but uh, we're so thankful for sort of this time to sort of grow, hopefully, uh, Catholic uh, readership and Catholic media. Uh, so take back a listen, find, uh, find Jeannie online, uh, find her publishing company. But if you have some kids, consider picking up uh, the series or at least the first book to Molly McBride and the Purple Habit. It sounds like a very, very good story for uh, children of, uh, of, all, of all ages and types. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, until the next episode, uh, tune us in again. And until then, be good, stay safe, peace. Peace.